millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where in this episode, we are looking at Under Wraps from 1997. In terms of the format for the episode... As usual, we're going to start with a little background information on the film, then there will be a section on the historical accuracy, and finally, I shall review the film. Right, you are a child who has just found out that the owner of a creepy old house in your neighbourhood has died. It is rumoured that he had many bizarre items in his basement. You break into the basement, only to find out, to your horror, that there's a mummy in there. At first, you are terrified, but then you realise that it is a nice mummy. Now it is your job to protect it from those who want to harm it. You must keep the mummy under wraps. Okay, so in this section, I'm just going to go over some of the background information on the film. To start with, this was the first ever Disney Channel film. Although, in fairness, there had been three sequels to The Parent Trap, which came out on Disney Channel premiere films before this one. So really, it was more the first film that came after the rebranding of the Disney Channel. Although... There is very little information on the budget or the success for this film. It presumably did do quite well considering a remake of the film was made in 2021 and that version also got a sequel which came out in 2022. Two films which I guess I'm probably going to have to review later. It's also worth noting that, at least according to many of the reviews I saw, um, there are quite a few people who view this film quite fondly and actually use it as their kind of Halloween film. So is this all rose-tinted spectacles, or is this film actually decent? I guess you'll have to listen to the rest of the episode to find out. 
Finally, as far as I can tell, this was the first film in about 11 years where the mummy had actually been the main focus of the film. There have been quite a few uh, examples where mummies have been included. For instance, um, going with the sort of comedy theme, I guess, Scooby-Doo Goes to Ghoul School would be one. But as far as I can see, the last film to have the mummy as sort of the main point would be The Tomb from 1986, which I reviewed last week. However, if you do know of any films that I've missed in this time, please do get in contact because I'll have to review it. Right, now I'm just going to go over the historical accuracy of the film. I should probably say, to begin with, that I'm aware this film is basically a children's TV comedy and was never meant to be accurate, so I'm not going to go insane with this section, but I am going to try and use it in parts as sort of a jumping-off point to talk about other things. However, to begin with, the film says that living mummies were the guardians of the pharaohs and queens. I mean, it's pretty obvious this is incorrect. Mummies were supposed to help the deceased to survive in the afterlife, but they were never supposed to rise again in this life, as is shown in the film. And also, just in general, pharaohs and queens were also made into mummies, so the whole thing just doesn't really make sense. The film then goes on to say that the living mummy was buried in a coffin known as a sarcophagus. A sarcophagus technically is a type of coffin, but first of all, the mummy in the film isn't in a sarcophagus, it's just in a regular coffin. As explained in previous episodes, a sarcophagus is basically a big box, normally made of stone, in which the coffins are stored. For um, elite individuals in Egypt, Typically, you'd have three coffins sort of stacked inside one another like Russian dolls and they'd be stored in the sarcophagus. In the film, the deceased is just in a coffin. The film then goes on to say that the mummy will come back to life at the full moon on Halloween. And if he does not get back to his coffin by the next midnight, he will turn into a pillar of salt and his soul will be lost forever. <laughs> Well, I mean, Halloween doesn't have ancient Egyptian origins uh, for a start. It has Celtic origins. However, it is worth noting, I suppose, that the ancient Egyptians did have a lot of festivals. And many of these festivals held similarities with the ones we have today. So, for instance, there was a lot of eating, drinking and dancing and things like that. In terms of the time of the year, the closest one to Halloween would be the festival of Anuket, which took place around about October 30th. Anuket was the goddess of the lower cataracts in Egypt, and she had her cult centre in Elephantine, which was quite close to those cataracts. This festival started with the annual flooding of the Nile, and people basically threw sort of jewellery and precious gifts into the Nile as a way of thanking the goddess. In terms of the ancient Egyptian festival that was closest in tone to Halloween, that would probably be the beautiful festival of the Bali, which took place in May at Thebes, and it kind of began at the beginning of the new moon. To begin with in this festival, the statues of the gods Amun, Khonsu and Mut were taken out of the temple complex of Karnak, 
and they were carried over to the Theban necropolis where they visited the royal tombs. This procession would last for several days, and also the people of Thebes would offer flowers to their ancestors in their tombs as well. Flowers in ancient Egypt basically symbolised life. And in terms of this festival, they were supposed to help renew the life of the deceased to ensure their survival in the afterlife. During this festival, people would also drink and sleep on top of the tombs of their ancestors. Although all of this sounds quite morbid, it does need to be realised that it was actually supposed to be quite a joyous festival, with the general idea that the deceased weren't necessarily dead as such, they were just living in the next life. Because generally there's sort of this misconception that the ancient Egyptians were obsessed with death, when in reality the opposite's actually true. They were obsessed with life and they loved life and they wanted life to continue after death. Right, moving on. Throughout the film they make several references to the Eye of Ra, However, very often when they're referring to this, they've actually got the Eye of Horus up instead. They kind of use them both almost interchangeably. So basically, um, the Eye of Horus, uh, also known as the Wajet Eye, among many other things, was essentially a sign of protection, which, unsurprisingly, was associated with the god Horus. I'm not going to go into this too much as the myths surrounding it are quite lengthy, but if you are interested, I would look into both the Osiris myth and the contendings of Set and Horus. They really are really interesting stories, though if you've got children, maybe read over them first, especially when it comes to the contendings of Set and Horus. On the other side of things, the Eye of Ra, which was typically the right eye, represented kind of destruction and the heat of the sun. And in fairness to the film, it does say that Ra is an ancient Egyptian sun god, so it does get that right. Finally, at one point they go to a museum in the film. Gilbert, one of the main characters in the film, reads a description about the high priests of Egypt. It basically says that the high priests were the advisors, bodyguards and confidants of the queens of Egypt, and they were sworn to be by their side in this life and the next. This is completely wrong in pretty much every possible way. Maybe with the exception of the pharaoh, the high priests were actually just the most senior position in the various temples across Egypt. And actually, when it comes to the High Priest of Amon during the 21st Dynasty, it's arguable that he was as powerful as the Pharaoh himself, and maybe even greater. Gilbert then goes on to say that the High Priests had to remain celibate. No, um, actually quite a few of the High Priests had wives and children, so they definitely weren't celibate. The only position I can think of, off the top of my head, that had to remain celibate would be the god's wife of Amon. For more information on that, listen to the first episode I ever did on The Mummy 1932, because I discuss it more there. I will also say, just generally look up the position as well, especially if you're interested in women in ancient Egypt.
Okay, in this final section of the episode, I'm just going to review the film, say what I like and dislike about it, talk about the stuff that I liked for the wrong reasons as well, and generally rate the film. Okay, so we'll start with the good stuff. Firstly, the early vibe of the film was quite nostalgic in a way. It was somewhere between Goosebumps and the original Jumanji. Two, well, I have a lot of fondness for Goosebumps and I I really love the original Jumanji as well. So that's really good. Actually, Jumanji is one of those really rare cases where the remakes are, I, I'm in my personal opinion, are as good as the original. I also really appreciated that all of the characters in this film were quite colourful and unique. So we go over the main three characters. So you have Marshall, Amy and Gilbert. They're all, you know, children. Um, Marshall and Amy, they kind of start off with one-upping themselves in how fearless they are. And it's quite apparent from the beginning that Amy's a little bit selfish and Marshall, he's got a little bit of anger behind him. Meanwhile, Gilbert is sort of just a coward and, and happily so. What's really good about this is that you actually see the characters grow as the film goes on. And okay, it's a little bit cheesy, but we are talking about a, well, a Disney Channel film here, so that's you've got to take that, really. Um, so Amy becomes more empathetic and she starts doing things for other people. Marshall, you find out that he's sort of a bit angry because his parents have divorced and his mum's got a new boyfriend and basically he learns to accept that new boyfriend and he realizes that it makes her happy so i suppose he becomes a little less selfish as well finally unsurprisingly i suppose gilbert overcomes his fear i mean there's not really much to dislike that maybe other than the cheesiness but there's nothing wrong with a bit of cheese you know i will actually say as well i was quite surprised that i found the film pretty funny i i thought i'd just find it annoying as uh well i mean anyone who heard last um episode probably guessed i did sort of prejudge this film a little bit and it proved me wrong in that regard so that's great um i quite like that at the beginning of the film the mummy is like when they discover the mummy uh he's frantically running around and they're all terrified and then he realized he just needed the toilet, and there's a toilet right there. He's been in a coffin for 3,000 years, so that was pretty funny. Um, then after that, you, you find out that the mummy is actually not evil. He's quite nice, which is really sweet, and a nice little twist on the traditional tale. I will say as well, because this film is set at Halloween, it allowed them to do some, I suppose, things that aren't that clever now, but at the time I feel probably were. So, for instance, he's a mummy, it's Halloween, so he can just wander around and not cause any suspicion. But then they go one step further, and he goes into a hospital. And because he's wrapped in bandages, he just kind of fits in there as well, because everyone assumes he's a an injured person. Um, that was really... I thought that was quite funny. What was even funnier is when the doctors realised that he didn't have a pulse and he wasn't breathing, and they just freaked out. Again, great. <laughs> Gilbert's mum is, you don't ever see her, but the way she's described is also just insane. So his mum collects dolls, like, you know, like old porcelain dolls, I'm guessing, is what's kind of implied. But that's not weird in itself, fine. It's 
I mean, some people might find it creepy, but each to their own. But she also takes the dolls to the cinema and at one point even bought them popcorn. And she role plays with her dolls. And when she is, she insists on being called Esmeralda. I mean, like, it's just so, it's just, that's just too weird not to find a little bit funny. There are also just generally a lot of little jokes in this film that I I kind of appreciated. Like, there's one character called Bruce, and he's a bit... He's, like, into spooky stuff and, like, tea leaf reading and stuff like that. And he claims that he can read uh, varicose veins like they were tea leaves. And he did so for his mum. In general, they just kind of go insane with the mummy as well. Like, it, they, they put it in some really weird scenarios. And I'm... Well, I mean, I'm not normally a big fan of, like, slapsticky stuff, but I will admit, even I found it quite funny. Like, um, for instance, at one point, they dress the mummy to look like a 70s DJ so they can sneak it through the streets. And then the mummy ends up riding on a little pink bike with tassels on the handles. Uh, I There's just something... How can you not find that a little bit funny? And there's another bit where the mummy rides on a skateboard while chasing a dog because it took his ball. I mean, I will admit, it's incredibly silly, but that's not a bad thing. I like silly humour. Finally, one thing that I often find isn't the case with um, a lot of these films that I've been reviewing is this one actually entertained me throughout. There wasn't really ever a point where I felt bored or like it was lulling a little bit. Okay, onto the parts that I liked for the role reasons. Firstly, some of the characters were just really random, and I'm actually not sure if this was intended or if it was just weird writing. Like, for instance, there's this little kid called Leonard in the film, and he just randomly gets introduced to the main characters at one point, and he's just, his way of introducing himself was just to go, do you want to see me pick my scab? And then it's revealed that he just carries around a rag everywhere he goes in case he needs to wipe something up. Like, I'm sorry, but like, where did this character come from? He didn't really serve any major point. He was just there. I will admit I found it quite funny, so I'm definitely not saying it's bad. It's just really, really random. Also, unsurprisingly, I suppose, considering we're dealing with child actors here in a Disney Channel movie... Uh, the acting is pretty terrible, but I will admit I thought it was mainly in a charming way. Now I will move on to the bad parts, the bits I just didn't really like at all. Firstly, I will say that the characters were a bit one-dimensional. Yes, they did have their distinct personalities. Yes, they did change as the film went on. But they still felt a little bit one-dimensional. However... Again, as I've stressed a couple of times, we are talking about a Disney Channel movie here. So I guess that was always going to be the case. I also felt that the plot was a bit lazy, and there were parts of it that didn't really make sense. For instance, uh, the main villain, he basically, he wants to sell the mummy so that um, he can pay off his debts, basically. However, when he sees the mummy is walking around, he refuses to let it back in the coffin, even though the mummy is going to turn into a pillar of salt if 
it doesn't get back to its coffin. So it doesn't really make sense. It's just kind of being nasty for the sake of being nasty. And in a way, that's going to hurt everyone, including himself. Other than that, weirdly, there isn't that much I disliked about this film. I'm sort of shocked, actually, but I quite enjoyed it. Um, the reviews for this film in general were quite mixed. Uh, however, as I've already stated, there are quite a few people who look really fondly upon this film and treat it as a Halloween film. Personally, I actually kind of get it. Um, although I'd never seen this film before, I did feel weirdly nostalgic watching it. Largely because of that original Jumanji slash Goosebumps kind of vibe to the film. And also, the film did genuinely make me laugh. I didn't find any of the characters particularly annoying. I mean, it's fair to say some of the jokes haven't aged well, but we are talking about a film from the 90s and that's always going to be the case. As shocked as I am by this, I think I'm going to give this film a 7 out of 10. I, I actually liked it. Thank you very much for listening, and if you've enjoyed this episode and you're new, why not consider subscribing, leaving a comment, leaving a positive review, but most importantly, why not join me next time, where we shall be looking at Bram Stoker's The Legend of the Mummy from 1998. See you then.